Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how men today are like the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 who are brought to a piece of bread and are fallen in temptation. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Come and throw down the weapons of your rebellion because God is for peace. They weren't calling on the name of God now to find out what God thought about them getting married to these women. They weren't interested in that. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'd like to turn to it in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says a very familiar verse to us. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh in his mind, he standeth, take heed, lest he also fall. The minute we think we are strong and we are immune from falling, that's for somebody else. That's when we're in their greatest danger of falling, according to this verse. That's what it says. It's a warning sign when you think, you know, I'm pretty stable. I've been a Christian for a long time. I walked with God. Well, that fell over there. He fell, that poor guy. Well, you know, not me. That's the danger sign that Paul's referring to here. He says, when you think that you're strong, watch out. Turn, if you would, also to 1 Timothy 4.16, where Paul, the father, is pouring out his heart in the latter part of his life, getting ready to pass the baton on to Timothy of care for the churches. And he says to him some advice in 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now here's a great Apostle Paul speaking to the great Timothy, and he needed to take heed in two areas, he's telling him. He says, Timothy, listen to me, Timothy. There's two areas you need to be very, very careful of. First, he said, take heed to thyself. In other words, he was saying, watch out for your personal life. Take a look, Timothy, at your life. You know, my wife is a gardener. You know, why is she a gardener? Because she comes from Ohio. And she comes from Akron, Ohio. Everybody in Akron, Ohio has (laughs) gardens, you know. But I'm not a gardener. Why am I not a gardener? Because I come from West Los Angeles. Nobody has gardens in West Los Angeles. When I was growing up, no one had gardens. Except for some of the students that raised marijuana at that time. But apart from that, nobody had any gardens, you know. So anyway, my wife at our house, has raised beds, you know what those are. But her beds are about this high, you know, so I told you, you still have to bend over. If there were beds for me, they'd be this high, so at least she can't have to bend it. But anyway, she, it doesn't matter. It's about that tall. And so she's planted tomatoes in them and squash in them. And every evening, she would go out. It was a big, huge thing. She would prepare the soil 
and you buy all these soil additives and you know she would like run the soil like it's gold through her hands you know and get it all prepared and mixed and everything through her filters and I'm thinking it's so dirty but anyway and then she would carefully plant the seedlings you know and every evening she'd go out and water it and what did I do I set up a chair and watched her what else are you going to do? <laughs> and, uh, well, no, I mean, I did that because, first of all, I'm not a gardener. But second of all, if, if I went to do that, I never can do it up to her standards, you know. So I don't even try, you know, because for me, it's like, you know, how soon can we get through this dirty mess and, and get it finished, you know. But she never wants it to end. For her, she loves it. It's like a process. Why? Because she loves to garden. Now, every evening, she would go out to the garden and she would inspect it. And there'd be all the drama about, you know, the cutter worms that would come, you know, and eat up the tomato leaves. And I said, well, you know, and so I went online and I found that you could buy these strips of copper and tack them down and you would like electrocute them. You know, that was enjoyable. So that's what I did. You know, I put that around there. <laughs> anyway, so, but she would in- inspect every night. And what she would do is she would look for any new sprouts of weeds, you know, and immediately take them out every day. I mean, she was meticulous. You know, that's kind of what Paul was asking Timothy to do. He was saying to Timothy, when he said, take heed unto thyself, he was saying, Timothy, take heed. Is there a new sprout of pride that's come up overnight? Dig it out early. He said, Timothy, is there a new sprout of some bitterness and some refusal to forgive somebody? You're holding it against them. You kind of have that sort of parked in the back of your heart that I would love to get evenness. He says, dig it out early. Timothy, is there a new sprout of some uncontrolled lust? Something that you're sort of interested in and you know that is going to draw you away from God. Dig it out, Timothy. That's where the sons of God fell in Genesis 6. So that was the first area. Take heed unto thyself. And the second area that Paul was instructing Timothy to take heed of was to the doctrine that needed to be continued in. The doctrine that needed to be continued in. How would Timothy know when, when he was in danger being led astray by a false doctrine. How would Timothy know? Well, there's some telltale signs of a seducing doctrine. There's some telltale signs of when a false doctrine has come in. Now, here's some of the telltale signs. First of all, false doctrines typically come with a spark of all of a sudden. You know, all of a sudden it came to me. You know, all of a sudden I saw the light. Oh, why didn't I ever see it before? There's that spark of the suddenness. Second, it comes with kind of a spice of pride. You know, I've seen this and others haven't seen this. And I'm pretty proud of myself for seeing this, you know. See, it's got that pride, spice of pride in there. And then it comes, a a false doctrine typically comes with this like dawn of change, you know, a dawn, a new day, and where the new truth is causing me to cast away certain beliefs that I embraced in the past because I have this new truth now. And the other thing that happens is that a false doctrine or a doctrine to be rejected usually comes with a tone of separation, a tone of separation, where, where everybody's put into two categories now. 
And now I just, all of a sudden, I see people as they either believe this, and they're on my side, or they don't believe it, and they're the them. You know, we're the us, they're the them, see? Separation is part of it. And then it comes, a new doctrine or a false truth usually comes with an atmosphere of consumption. An atmosphere of consumption. It's all I can think about. It's just consuming me. It's become a preoccupation for me. I find myself thinking about this new truth all the time. So, as Paul was asking Timothy, not just in your personal life to go in there and do the weeding every night to make, or every morning to make sure that you don't have those areas that we spoke about, but also in the area of your doctrinal life, Timothy, take heed to thyself. If you find yourself with a new truth, with a spark of an all of a sudden I didn't see it before, of a new truth, the spice of pride, where I'm pretty proud of myself for having seen that, with a new truth that brings in a dawn of change where you find yourself throwing away all things that you believed, where a new truth of a tone of separation, well, now, you know, it's, it's not just believers, but it's believers who are on my side and believe this versus the believers who are not on my side. And then the new truth that has become an atmosphere of consumption, like it's all I'm thinking about all the time. Then Paul was saying to Timothy, watch out, Timothy, take heed to the doctrine. Then Paul says to Timothy, if you do this, if you take heed to yourself and to your doctrine, he says, you will save yourself and those that hear it. Now, this is a little surprising to read that. Save yourself? (laughs) Timothy, save himself? Uh, what are you saving yourself from, Timothy? Save yourselves, save yourself, Timothy, from becoming like the sons of God in Genesis 6. Save yourself from being disqualified by God. Save yourself from being sent home early in an untimely, premature death which is spoken about in 1 Corinthians 11, 28-32. Paul said, let a man examine himself. And he goes on to say, and he says, if there's sin, speaking about the Lord's table, but any sin, for this cause, Paul says, many, not a few, many are weak and sickly among you, and many, not a few, Paul says, many sleep. In other words, they died an untimely premature death. He says, but if we judge ourselves, we'd be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, Genesis 6. Verse 3 tells us that when the sons of God took this new course, that life was not easy for them. Life became difficult. They just kind of wish that God would leave them alone. But that's not what verse 3 says happened. Verse 3 gives us an indication that there was a striving. Now, a struggling. And it was between the sons of God and the Spirit of God. And the verse tells us that God said that he was striving. Well, actually, it says that he wasn't going to always strive, but he was striving with man. In other words, God did not give up those sons of God easily. It was not that easy 
for those sons of God to just walk away from God. It wasn't that easy for them. And because God's Spirit fought for them, and He fought with them, which is really the same. He fought for them, and He fought with them. Because God was speaking to them in the still, small voice, and He was saying to them, don't go near those women. He was saying to them the words of Proverbs 5.20, Why, why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? These words, ravished, embrace. He's saying the words of Proverbs 7.27. He was advising his sons. These were sons of God. And he was saying to them, in Proverbs 7.27, Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. It may seem like fun and enjoyment, but there's a course that you're on. And that course has a destination. You continue down that course and you will arrive at the destination. The course is called the way to hell. The destination is called the chambers of death. And then he said in Proverbs 7.25, Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. In other words, just like with Timothy, going out every night, check the weeds. And when you see the first warning signs, those two words, let not, are very important. Pull the weed. In other words, don't go, don't let your heart decline to her ways. And so what do you mean my heart? All I see is my eyes and I'm admiring her beauty and I want to see her beauty always in my eyes. And God says, oh, no, no, no. He says, you think it's all about your eyes? It's all about your heart. And your heart is declining to her ways. And you're going astray in her paths. She's going to take you away. Proverbs 6.25 says, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Lust not. That's the same thing as the weeding. Detect and stop. You think you are taking her. That's the word, lekach. You took, in the Hebrew word. It says, they took. Lekach, he says. That's the same word that's used in Proverbs 6.25. It says, neither let her take thee. With her eyelids. You think you're taken? You're being taken. That's what the truth is there. Proverbs 6.26. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought, or I like to think of the word reduced, to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. So God was saying to his sons of God, you're being hunted. Tom, today you talked about how men lose so much when they give in to sexual temptation. Unfortunately, this is really all too relevant today in the world that we live in. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, and you know, we wish that we really didn't have to cover this subject. But unfortunately, it, uh, when, when there's so many tombstones in the graveyard and you see so many fallen, we really have to look very carefully what the Bible says. And this verse that we talked about today, really we need to study it carefully and to understand what's being said. Proverbs 6.26, For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. 
and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. You know, when we look at this verse and break it down, first thing we see is that it says it starts off by saying, for by means of. In other words, we're talking about a strategy. There is a strategy that is behind this. Oh, it all looks to be so spontaneous of it all, and then at joyful time. Oh, no. This is a strategy. It's uh, found in, uh, the strategy was found with Balaam. We see that Balak could not get Balaam to curse Israel directly, and so they were they went not being cursed. But then we read in the next chapter that the the Moabite women went down and tempted and brought the children of Israel into terrible situation. This is a strategy. And what says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says that lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So what is being said here is that if we are ignorant of Satan's strategies, of Satan's devices, then he will get an advantage over us. And so when this Proverbs 6.26 verse says, for by means of a whorish woman, it is saying this is a strategy that Satan's using. And unfortunately, it's a very successful strategy. It's called the strategy of the whorish woman. And with this strategy, Satan is able to bring a man to a piece of bread. And when it says brought to a piece of bread, it's referring to a falling, to a losing of position, to a losing of a foothold, to a slipping and falling. And that's exactly this idea here, especially the word brought. He is brought to a piece of bread. What it means is that he is brought down to a piece of bread. This is the the word words brought down that said twice when it's referring to Satan in Isaiah chapter 14. It speaks of Satan in Isaiah 14, 11, when it says, thy pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee. And the next verse says, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So this is Satan's strategy to bring down a man to a piece of bread. And then it says, the adulteress will hunt. Now, that's a very active word. It's a very, very active uh, scene that's given here. It's almost as though, you know, there she is, and she's got the low cut and the revealing of the curves and so forth, and she comes walking in in that particular way, and she's just like the fisherman that sets that line out behind the boat there. It's got all the little baits along it, and it can catch a lot of fish, and then the fisherman brings up that that line and sees how many fish have I snagged. And so that woman, she walks in and then she looks with those eyes to see how many men she has snagged along the lines of all those lures and hooks uh, and, and so forth. And it's just the scene that we have in Je- Judges 16 about Samson and Delilah. And what's so amazing about it, and many things amazing about this whole scene in Samson and Delilah, but 
what's so amazing that Samson think he's the strong man. He's got control of the whole situation. He's the man in power of control, and he's doing all this behind closed doors, and nobody knows what's going on. It's just something, this little secret fling with Samson and Delilah. But in verse 9 of Judges 16, it says, there were men lying in wait and abiding with her in the chamber. So what he doesn't realize, Samson, is that while he's having his way and his day with Delilah, he is being watched by men who are wanting to gouge his eyes out, who are about to gouge his eyes out, who are about to afflict him, who are about to make a total laughingstock and a fool out of him, who are about to make him lose his sight, lose his service for God. And all of this he's going to lose because these men are there lying in wait, and he doesn't know. And then she says, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he broke these widths as a thread of tau is broken when it touches the fire. And so his strength wasn't known. But then it goes on, and Samson weakens. And in verse 19 and 20 of Judges 16, it says, she made him sleep upon her knees. What a pathetic sight is that? The woman is hunting for the precious life. This Delilah is the hunter, and she made him sleep upon her knees, and he has no idea that he is about to lose everything for God. And she says she calls for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. He lost his strength, he lost his service, he lost his sight. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And the tragic words, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. He didn't even know. He didn't even know that God had departed from him. That's how far he was into the trap, into the lure. See, and that's where... When that, that, that phrase there, he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That's how blind he already was spiritually before he lost his physical sight. And so that's why that thought he didn't know is we carry that over to Proverbs 9.18, where it says about the men who go after this woman, the, the woman who is the adulteress, it says, he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depth of hell. Oh, that we could only, only show this man. Say, do you know what you're walking into? Do you know that the dead are where you're going? Do you realize that the guests of this women are in the depths of hell? This is a fast skid to hell. That's why this is all Satan's strategy and his devices, because he's hunting for the precious life. What's the precious life? The precious life is very simply the soul. The soul is precious in God's sight. It is precious. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in Mark 8, 36 to 37, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What he's saying here is that the soul is more precious than the whole world. If you were to put the whole world in God's sight on one side of the balance and just one soul on the other side, there's no question about it. The soul is more precious. And this is what the adulteress is hunting for, the precious soul. She wants that soul to be with her other guests in the depths of hell, and men would lose their souls over over this folly. And so that's why it's so vitally important today that we understand Satan's strategy. Men, it's important to keep the guard up. Women, do not be used of Satan. Do not be used of Satan to bring men down through this area. And this is because we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know what he's up to. And because we know what he's up to, therefore, we put up our guard. Parents, it's important to train up boys, men, to train them up, parents, and to teach them and to show them to, that why, the great dangers in this area, to train up our daughters to be chaste, to, be, to dress as an honor to God, to not be enticers and allurers. And that's so important because the world we live in today, let's face it, this is the modus operandi of the world today. But we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know the devices of Satan, so we don't go down that road. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we'd like to hear from you about how friendship with God has impacted your life. You can call us today with your testimony at 1-800-247-3051. That's one 800 247-3051. You might also have a question for Tom Cantor that you'd like to have him answer on the program. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051 with your question for Tom Cantor. You can also contact Tom Cantor by email by sending an email to Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom and C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor with a C at friendshipwithgod.org. So email us or call us today with your testimony or your question for Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program. Remember, if you've got a lost Jewish friend, call us today. Tom Cantor's got a free gift for you to give to them. 1-800-247-3051.